All right, shalom and welcome to the Haftura Get You Some with Shomerman and Chasis Baz. Shana Tova to everyone, and uh, we are well overdue for getting into the Haftarot. So here we go. The opening bracha. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Asher Bakar Bin Ve'im Tovim Ve'ratza Ve'divrehem Hane'emarim Be'emet Baruch Atah Adonai Haboker Batorah Uf Moshe Avdo, Uf Yisrael Amo, Uvin Vie Haemet Vazedek, Biskut Mashiach Yeshua, Amen. Amen. All right, so Chasis, take it away. Matadah Rabah for that uh, beautiful opening blessing. Uh, it's good to be back, back on. Amen. Um, I know as we we were we were talking earlier, we were mentioning. You know, because we're we're in the book of Yeshayahu still for a half Torah, Kin. and we were mentioning that last time, you know, last year that we were in the book of Yeshayahu. <laughs> Consistency. <laughs> yes, and so I I remember we we were talking before how one of his gematria was like the the all of Tav, and so he's at the first and the last of the the half Torah reading, so it's fitting. Good night. <laughs> but. Brooks and we we've talked a lot about um, you know Yeshayahu, and so we kind of got off from talking about him, mm-hmm. and so since we're at the beginning, beginning of the the half Torah readings, you know Bereshit Noach and Lechlecha, I figured we'd we'd start off by saying instead of something about Yeshayahu, something about the half Torah themselves. All right, so new way to do introductions. Yeah, new introductions. Love it. And so the question is, how did the half Torah come about? Why did we read them in the first place? How? I think it's a it's a fair question to ask for the beginning of the the start of the half Torahs. And it essentially comes back to um, a time period when they when they were forbidden to read the Torah. It says when the Jews began. When did the Jews begin to read the half Torah? Says according to Lavush, there was a time when the government forbade the Jews in Eretz Israel to read the Torah. This is the time um, of Emperor Antiochus. Uh, yeah. So not a good time. Not a good time. It was not good for the Jews. Not good for the Jews. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And so he forbade the Jews in Eretz Israel from reading the Torah, and so the sages then substituted tor- uh, portions from the prophets. That actually related to the Torah portions, which were due to be read on that Shabbos. And mm-hmm. so later on, when the when the ban of the, the Torah reading was actually lifted, the sages mandated that the custom of reading the half Torah every Shabbos be mandated. And so there's usually about the 21 verses in the half Torah corresponding to the Torah reading, um, which consists of a minimum of like 21 verses, you know, for the usual. Um, Seven people were called up to the Torah. Right. And so, so three verses per person kind of thing. Mm-hmm. All right. So I thought that was, that was instant, interesting at a time when the Torah had to be uh, concealed. Its reading had to be concealed. There was this, this substitute book that was, that was placed, and hidden within it was the whole Torah portion itself. Wow. That's the Torah was concealed in the half Torah. Like the Torah being concealed in Mashiach Yeshua. 
Yes, and he says these speak in, these these speak of me. Wow. No, referring to the, the 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 Torah, the prophets, and the writings. Mm, that's beautiful. <laughs> and then a, a quick quick little thing about the blessings. Okay. Says there are a total of five blessings, better the half Torah, one before it, and the four afterwards. They parallel the five books of the Torah to hint that the words of the prophets must be taken as seriously as those of the Torah. Mm-hmm. So adds a little little weight to the the half Torah. Now says, oh, that's the half Torah. Well, these words of the prophets are actually, according to here, is at, taken to be serious as the Torah itself. Well, all right then. So what are the five blessings after you were talking about? There's the one that you say before, and then there's the ones that you say um, towards the end. Oh, when you when you end the half tour, you say the you say those four. Gotcha. Because they're Which special uh, institutions on Shabbat, right? Uh, what do you mean? Because like I notice that there are like uh, like I'm, I'm looking in the the Tanakh right now. And it says there's a a blessing of the Haftarah. So after the Torah scroll has been tied and covered, the Mafti mm-hmm. recites the Haftarah blessings. Then the Haftarah is read after the Maftir following blessings. And so there's like the one that we always do here basically was that first one. And then the next one, it says this is read after the Maftir portion. So... Mm-hmm. Then there's a, a blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, rock of all eternity, righteous in all generations, which is what we normally say after we read the Haftarah at our shul. And then yes. after that, it goes into another bracha that talks about have mercy on Zion. Then after that, it says gladden us, Adonai, our God, with Eliyahu. Come on. Mm-hmm. That needs to be hurry up. I don't know and bring Eliyahu, but you know. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so you got those four right there, and then obviously you have the blessing before and after the Torah reading. So there's a total of six. Yeah, you have the way it breaks it down here is talks about the before there's the Bor Hat Torah, thanks to Hashem for granting us the prophets. Mm-hmm. And then there's after the half Torah where Hashem fills the prophet's words. Mm. Um, the request for redemption would be the third, where it's have mercy on Zion. The fourth request for the restoration of the Davidic dynasty. We're talking about Eliyahu. And then it's like you mentioned at the beginning, uh, the thanks for the Shabbos and the special service of the day. That's the fifth one. There it is. And so there's there's the fifth and the fifth and final one right there. Man, what you know what's so cool about that is pretty much the way that we flow our service at Sar Shalom, we pretty much cover all of those brachotes throughout the Torah service. You know, like there's elements of each of these five, even though we don't explicitly say them here. So, yes. as we uh, get more developed, we'll be able to explicitly do these. But in the meantime, it's really cool that we're getting the, the spirit of them going. So, told out for that elucidation. I was not aware of those five. Uh, uh, all right. So, we do a quick... Um, a quick mention of Rashid really, really, really fast. All right. And Noah, and then get into our half tour on the Kleka. 
Bruges Tim, tell for doing that because there's a huge gap missing in our yes. little drop. Yeah, well, it won't it won't do it justice, but you know, it's it'd be better than to just skip over it, I I believe. I'm I'm in agreement. All right. So in Parsha Bashit, it uh, this is Yeshiyahu Yeshiyahu uh, forty two verse five to forty three ten and the introduction says this it, it has asked this question of what is the link between the creation of the universe and the final redemption and so it has these two things the Hathor hints that the formation of a totally new society of brotherly love peace and godliness and mashiach's arrival requires no less a miracle than that of creation wow and two the Hathor actually continues the theme of parsha brashit it says, even before Shem created the universe, his plan was to bring Mashiach. Oh. The world was created for the sole purpose of mankind, acknowledging Hashem. And it says, while Parsha Brashit describes the actual creation of the universe, the half Torah, this half Torah um, focuses on its goal, which is the final redemption. Beautiful. And verse 7, it talks about... Uh, Mashiach will open the eyes of the Jews who are spiritually blind. Mm. Of course, this is with the uh, this is with the commentary in the verse. It says, "Who cannot or will not admit the truth of the Torah, they will repent." And a result, Mashiach will lead the prisoners out of captivity and those that dwell in darkness out of the dungeon. In other words, the galut, uh, the exile, will come to an end. Amen. Man, will you see that soon? Yes, and what's interesting, what's interesting is this half Torah starts at starts at forty two verse five, and it's talking about Mashiach bringing healing. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's pretty incredible because you have in uh, Matthew Yahu twelve eighteen after Yeshua after he heals the man with a withered withered hand. Uh, he warned them and commanded them not to reveal him, fulfilling what Yeshayahu, the prophet, spoke, saying, This is my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved one that my soul favors. I place my spirit on him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out, and he will not raise his voice, nor will it be heard in the street. He will not break a crushed reed or extinguish a smoking wick, which brings forth everlasting justice. The nations will hope in his name. And Ma'am Lois actually comments that this is this is Mashiach. And then right after that verse verse three, there's a verse four, and then it goes into this half Torah, where it says, So says the Almighty Hashem who creates the heavens, expanding them like a canopy over the world, who spreads out the earth with plants it produces, who gives a living soul to each person upon it, but a higher spirit of Kadashah to the Sadakim who walk in his ways. Get you some. Yes. All right. Um, and if you have anything to add, you may. In the meantime, I'm going to skip over to uh, Hathor Noah, which is also in Yeshayahu. We'll get you some. Well, while you're doing that, I just wanted to bring up the obvious. I just can't seem to find anywhere that Mashiach healed and brought healing and all that. I just, I'm scratching my head and I'm just looking through all the Gospels and all of these miracles that Yeshua HaMashiach did, and I just, I don't know, I just can't seem to find any of the, him matching this commentary. This is no, no, no healings whatsoever. That's strange. Man, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs>
people listening probably like, what in the world is wrong with Shomer Man over there? <laughs> or his little fog in my lens. Man, that's funny. Yeah, but I mean, just outstanding how Yeshua HaMashiach completely follows as far as the correlations, the patterns, the validity, the facts of any of the commentaries that we're coming across. Like, if there was ever a gap, you know, it does not exist. Because everything that you just ascribed to the Haftarah portion for Parsha Bereshit and Yeshayahu, it I mean, you can just put it, put the text side by side and just see, you know, like, what's this rabbinic commentary? What's Mayom Loez really saying right here? And look at the Gospels, and it's just like, it's right there. So the only way to not be able to see that is to not have eyes to see and ears to hear, which is all in control of Hashem. Like, He's the one who gives sight to the blind. You know, we pray that every morning. And so, Bezrat Hashem, if you're listening to this broadcast, even myself and Hasiz, that... You know, Hashem continued to give us eyes to see because just as we see now and just because we saw yesterday doesn't guarantee that we'll see in the future. And so we have to definitely consider ourselves as always hanging in the balance and always making teshuva. And the only way to continue to see and to be able to understand these passages and how they connect to our Messiah is to always keep turning to him, always keep a humble heart. And always stay open and ask Hashem to fill us with His Spirit and give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we may know Him in all His ways. Amen. Love it. You know, that's that's such an important concept to keep is about, you know, making sure you're you're making yourself a proper vessel yeah. to be able to see, receive Hashem's right, to receive His, uh, like the, the, the heart that's open to understand and act in accordance with His Torah. Amen. And, you know, just a great, great anchor scripture is that when, when Mashiach is talking about, you know, it says this of me and the Torah and the, the, the prophets and in the Psalms and just on this whole concept of, of his healing and his, his acts, um, before we actually do move on to Noah, the parallels, like all, like what's interesting about this half Torah and Bashit is that it actually parallels Tehillim 107. So 42.7 parallels with Tehillim 107.10, 42.10 with 107 verses 22 to 23, 42.11 with 107.4, 42.15 with 107.33.35, and it just keep it keeps going on with these specific, just different specific verses. Wow. Um, the sake of time, I don't think we'll have time to, to elucidate all that, mm-hmm. but what's interesting, if you go into Tehillim 107, it mentions this idea of the four people who are required to give a Thanksgiving offering. Wow. And it actually forms an acronym of Chaim. Wow. Chaim, the whole idea of, of like living, says it stands for Chavush, one who is imprisoned, the Chet, uh, Yisarim, with a Yud, talking about those healed of ailments and illnesses. Yam with a yud also. This is the sea, people who come from the sea and they survive like a long trek over waters. And midbar, the desert, if they cross a desert and they survive. And so these four people, people who've been in prison, people who've been 
healed from being sick, uh, people who have traveled across seas or desert and survive. All these people are obligation to bring a Thanksgiving offering. And this is what's actually encoded in Tehillim 107. <laughs> and what's interesting is the the Kehot Tehillim makes this, this commentary. And it says there's specific types of cries that are like, and divine responses that are associated with these. Wow. And so I'm just going to read this real quick. It says, it says those who delivered... And commentary telling 107.6, those who are delivered, um, who are in prison or ill, and those who are delivered from, yeah, so those who are delivered for, who are in prison, or if they're ill, the divine response is Yeshua. Yud Shin Vav Ein Hey. And so this is their, this is the whole, the response to their outcry. It says, the word for deliverance, Yeshua, implies a complete salvation. In the case of the sick who recovers or the imprisoned one who are set free, God's response, their cry, is a complete salvation. And so it's just, and you really look back to what Yeshua did, and he really he healed the the sick and he brought those who are in prison out of prison. Right. And they were all crying. Yes. <laughs> I mean, this is what he tells um, when he tells Yochanan's disciples. He says Go tell Yochanan what you have heard and what you have seen. The blind are seen, the lame are walking. The Metzrim are becoming for the death are healing, the dead are rising, and the poor are receiving good news. And oh, the gladness of man who does not stumble because of me. That's, and he's quoting there from Yeshayahu 61.1. <laughs> and so it's just, it's very, very interesting. And also, if you look at that, those are the, the ones who are imprisoned and the ones who are of the sick illness, you take the letters of that, and that's both Chet Yud, which is Chai. Yes. <laughs> and so, goes back to Yochanan 1.4, where he's talking about being the life of men. It says, there was life in him, and the life was the light for the sons of men. The Chai. Why? Because he's healing. He's healing the sick, and he's healing those who are imprisoned. Wow. He was the, the divine reply to their outcry. <laughs> so, Brookshan, uh, if you have anything to say, you can. Um, I was just going to drop Yochanan 539 is the verse that talks about uh, the scriptures, which would include the Torah, the prophets, and the writings, which is the Tanakh. So anytime you hear the word scriptures being used, that's what that's in reference to. And in Yochanan 539, this is where Yeshua says, you pour over the scriptures because you presume that they're eternal life. But these very scriptures speak of me. And so you see that not only is there eternal life in the word, which is what we say actually in the blessing after we read the Torah, we says, who has implanted eternal life within us, which is Asher Natan Lanu Torat Emet Vekaye Olam Nata Betokainu. So, you know, he's given us a tour of truth and he has implanted eternal life within us, is the translation of that. And that is Yochanan 539. So we can see not only that the Torah is a manifestation of Mashiach Yeshua. Very much so that Yeshua is a manifestation of the written word, 
which we also see in Yokanon chapter 1. But this is all tied up together there that eternal life truly does come through Mashiach Yeshua, who embodies the very scriptures that we study. Amen. Love that. So that was Bereshit, Haftarah, elucidated <laughs> quickly. <laughs> <laughs> quickly elucidated. And then we have uh, Parshak Nach, um, which also ends up speaking about Mashiach. I'll just read this little <laughs> section. Um, it says about the Parsha, and then we'll move on. It says, a verse in this week's Haftor contains a reference to the great flood in Noach's time. The prophet Yeshua promises, just as Hashem kept his oath in which he swore to Noach, never to bring another flood worldwide, so too will he keep his promise, never to forsake B'nai Israel once the final redemption arrives. Yeshua 54.9. Moreover, the Haftor connects to the Parsha by warning, stay away from dishonesty, 54.14. And it was this sin that sealed the generation of the flood's verdict. Furthermore, explains... Arbabano, we may compare our situation exile to that of the generation of the flood. Its members were warned to do teshuva and failed to heed this warning, which resulted in their being drowned. We, too, did not repent for our sinful ways until we became engulfed in the flood of troubles that comprises our exile. But just as the righteous Noach survived, so will the Sadiqim who call Israel live to see the joyous day of the Messianic, or the Mashiach's arrival. Maybe soon in our days. Amen, ve amen. Right. And of course, you can, you can compare that to Mashiach talking about, so will it be like as in the days of Noah? You mean Matthew 24, 37 through 39? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. All right. Which leads us into Hathor of Lech Lecha. Lech Lecha. Wow, that was, did we really oh, just finish Noah like that? Yeah, we did. Okay, that was a flash flood. Okay. It was a flood. Well, we shall carry on. We shall go to ourselves. Right. <laughs> right. Ignore all the many drops that can be brought down from Hathor Noah. Right. Oh, the many Really? Yep. Because yep. they'd make a rainbow because when the light hits them. Exactly. <laughs> So the Hathor of Lechelcha, uh, Yeshiyahu 40.27 to 41.16. And summary, and kind of just a link to the weekly Parsha. It says, Parsha Lechelcha tells us that Hashem commanded Abraham to leave his home and wander to Eretz Canaan. Then it relates some of the things that occurred during Abraham's life, such as his battle against four mighty kings, the Hathorah, Pesachim 41, 2-7, according to our sages, deals with the same thing. God commands Abraham to leave his native land. It also describes his battle against the four kings. Later on, the Hathorah, B'nai Israel, are described as descendants of Hashem's friend, Abraham, verse 41, 8. Hashem treasures the Jewish nation because they're descendants of the great Sadiq, Abraham. Wow, cherished because we're descendants. Yes. Okay. Descendants of Abraham. <laughs> and so, kind of verse by verse, you got the 40, uh, verse, uh, chapter 40, 27 to 31 is about B'nai Israel surviving the sufferings of the exile that they're able to. Amen. Uh, chapter 41, 1 through 5, from Abraham's history, the nation should infer that God is in charge. 6 and 7, they fail to do so. Uh, they fail to infer that he's in charge. So, 
Yep. 8 through 10, why B'nai Israel need not be afraid in exile. And 11 through 16, we will outlive our enemies. The Jews will outlive the, the enemies of the nations. We will outlive? Oh, get you some. So we will persevere. It's all about this whole comforting uh, through through the exile. And so literally, it, this it's interesting because this half tour in, in 4027, it starts off with what the Midrash refers to as this unjust complaint. And it says, verse 27, Why, Yaakov, do you claim, and the people of Israel do you state, My fate is hidden from Hashem. He does not see my suffering. My reward is being passed over by my God. He does not reward the Sadiqim among us, nor does he punish our wicked oppressors. And so Hashem's reply is essentially, why do people complain about me instead of exclaiming their evil deeds, which caused these misfortunes to befall them? Oh. This is like, you did it to yourself. And then he, if that was enough, he brings out the list. Man. <laughs> he said, the first man, the first man to experience his great kindness was Adam. And Hashem gave him this, this wife, this helpmate. And shortly after, ever, after he, he blamed me, he, this is Hashem talking, he blamed me, saying the woman you gave me caused me all this trouble. He says, after Yosef was sold to Egypt, his father Yaakov did not know whether he was alive or not. Yaakov suspected that my love for him had ceased. He complained, and Yahshua 4027, signed his half-Torah, why are my affairs hidden from Hashem? And says, Yaakov was so familiar with my ways of kindness and mercy, he should have known better. He should have said, this too is for the best. But instead, he voiced his complaint. At the very time, I was arranging for his son to become viceroy of Egypt. And then it says, likewise, the Jewish nation in exile also accuses me unjustly. It says, Hashem has left me and my master has forgotten me. But in fact, this is Hashem speaking. I am busy preparing a great future for B'nai Israel. I already brought about the downfall of the Babylonian, Persian, and Greek empires. And I'm about to bring about the downfall of the dome. And still the Jews complain? Oh. And so just this whole idea of, of trusting trusting God and his kindness, like like we have no right to complain to him about exile. First of all, it's our fault. And secondly, like he's working it out for our best. Yes. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> so we have this idea that he says, he says, I was working out a plan. He, he's talking about how he, he brought about the downfall of all these great empires and he says, I am busy preparing a great future for B'nai Israel. And this next section I have to it goes into the details of just just how meticulous Hashem is with every every aspect of creation. You better believe and, it. <laughs> yes. And so sometimes we find ourselves, you know, in the midst of the confusion, the chaos of this exile. Uh, what's the purpose? Ooh. You know, you know, even even asking things like, okay, why are why are there crazy people in the world? Why are there spiders? I have arachnophobia. I do not like spiders. No, not me, but, you know, some people. Right. And, you know, okay, we just kind of came out of the summer months, so we don't have to worry about it too much anymore. But back when we were in the summer, why are there mosquitoes? Go away. Mm. You know, and funny thing is, these are all three things that David Hamelech asked about. What's the purpose? Oh, come on. The witless, the spider, and mosquitoes. And so... We got time for a story time. Story, story time. time. Love it. So David asked this question. He says, I, I understand your great wisdom, but there's three things I don't understand. The witless, the spider, and mosquitoes. 
Wait patiently, the Almighty, re- the Almighty replied. A time will come when you will need all three. Oh. And as it turned out, each of these three saved David from death on different occasions. So once when David was fleeing for his life before King Shaul, he escaped to a neighboring Philistine country. King Ashkish was the ruler there. Suddenly David was recognized by the Philistine king's servants. They informed King Ahish David, the murderer of our war hero Goliath, has arrived in our land. Let us avenge Goliath's death. The king prostrated. But David slew Goliath in fair combat. After all, Goliath did challenge the Jews to send a man to fight him. The servants retorted, If you are so concerned with Goliath's words, take leave of your own throne. Let David have it instead. Have you forgotten that Goliath stipulated that the losing party will become servants to the winner? It follows that we are all David's servants. At that, Achish had no more mercy and decided to have David killed. Upon hearing of the danger in which he found himself, David entreated the Almighty, Please spare my life. An original daring plan occurred to him, and he begged God for assistance. When Achish's servants came to lead David to his death, they could not believe what they saw. David was ranting and raving like a lunatic. It seemed he had lost his mind. He was laughing hysterically, emitting piercing, shrill sounds while saliva kept dribbling from his mouth. He was in the midst of wandering from door to door and scribbling on all the walls. King Achish owes me one million and his wife a half a million. Bewildered, the servants nevertheless proceeded to lead the crazed man to the court, where his unintelligible cries caused quite a commotion. King Achish could not bear the sight, for it reminded him of his own domestic misery. Indeed, his wife and daughter were crazy. At that moment, they were ranting in the inner chambers of the palace. Furiously, he bellowed, Let that fool go, I have enough witless people around here. The servant threw David out of the palace, whereupon he took to his heels and fled the land. For the rest of his life, David greatly remembered that his life had been saved because of the insanity that afflicted Achish's wife and daughter. His wife and daughter. So that's... (laughs) craziness that's the purpose of craziness it served the purpose of serving says on another occasion david was hiding in a cave when shawl and his men passed they were debating whether or not to enter and search the cave when they noticed a spider web concealing the entrance surely no one could have entered here they said and went on that's how the spider saved him uh it was his best weapon (laughs) weapon yes (laughs) oh nice secret weapon I should say. Wow, you put the, the spun on that pen. Oh, no. wow. <laughs> All right. So we're going to weave together this next one, the oh. third. <laughs> on another day, David found himself surrounded on all sides by Shaul's men. He tried to escape between Shaul's legs, but Shaul had pressed them together firmly. Suddenly, a shim sent a mosquito to sting King Saul, mm. causing Shaul to spread his legs apart. David darted through and, ex- and escaped. From then on, David greatly acknowledged that God's planning indeed extends to every detail of the universe. It goes on to say that just the Almighty creates in the present tense, according to this basuk, for he keeps all creation in existence. Man. And so we can even begin to, to question him, to complain against him, because just it, his ways are so beyond our ways. To use to use a mosquito, this king to uh, save King David, to use a spider web to ki- save King David. Insanity, even. All right. Um, let's see. And we will we'll skip over to 41.2. This is a section talking about Hashem is in charge. 
and it's addressed to all mankind after he talks about be silent and listen to me you idol worship worshipers mm-hmm. goes on to verse 2 says uh, talking about the whole history of of Abraham it says when he, when he addresses the Gentiles in verse 1 he quotes to them examples from history that everyone knows from these it is easy to see that Hashem guides the world and so he goes on talking about Abraham which all, all these the Gentiles know the story of Abraham and so verse 2 who roused Abraham to leave Amram Narim in the east and move out of Eretz Canaan I Hashem brought it about in order that Abraham should disseminate belief in me in the world Wherever his, Abraham's footstep, he proclaimed righteousness, namely to believe in me and to abandon idol worship. Who delivered nations into his hands and made him rule over kings when he defeated the four mighty kings, Aishim guided history thus. Abraham's sword killed as many of the enemies as dust and his bow as many as blow, blown away strong. So from this we see Hashem gives success to those who trust in him. But the beginning of this pursuit actually allows for all these different interpretations. We're going to talk about uh, one that's very, very interesting. It says, Mi ha'ir. Mi ha'ir. It's like, who who roused? And it says, the word ha'ir, hey, ayin yud resh, can also be read as ha'ir, hey, aleph yud resh, to mean lit up. Oh, snap. Therefore, after the great flood, when the world was steeped in idolatry, who illuminated the horizon from the east with his belief in Hashem and brought the nations under the wings of the Shekinah? It was Abraham, the great Sadiq. Seriously? The first, yes. <laughs> and the, what, the first one of our three forefathers is named by our sages as the light from the east. There's just way so, too much to say on that. <laughs> you have the star in the east, yep. which led the, the wise men, which yep. are interpreted to be... Um, the wise men trained by Daniel. by Daniel, and they wound wound up and found uh, Yeshua, the birth right. of Mashiach. And then it goes on and saying, "You gonna make the sunrise? What's that? Sunrise in the east? I was just gonna say the sun rises. Literally, the sun rises in the east. Oh yes, it's even parallel to nature. The sun rises in the east, which is interesting because we're talking about like this this star, the light from the east, and now." You mentioned this idea of the sun. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because it says his grandson, Yaakov, who achieved perfection, was termed the full light or the sun. Ooh. Well, there you go. Because, you know, you have the the light that's just before daybreak. And then you have the fullness of sunrise. And so thinking about the patriarchs making that completion of the dawn of redemption. Yes. Love it. That's awesome. The whole the rising, the rising of the sun, and then you had the full sun. <laughs> All right, and we we've been talking about early in the half Torah um, that this idea that that Yaakov should have said Kanzula Tava, right? And this phrase has become very very famous. Of course, meaning you know this too is for the best. A hopeful to a hopeful uh, verse to keep in our forefront of our mind. To remember that Hashem has the best interest in in our heart. Uh, for for us, yes, I mean, but he was also a a great sage, a rabbi, and so we're gonna take his time to do another story time. Story, story time. time. Get to know the great Sadiq Nachum Ish Gamzu. Oh, nice. All right, it says 
the guy who came up with this motto, he was known as this because he came up with the motto, Gamzul Tava, this too is for the best. This is a story about him. And it says, Nahum was once chosen by the Jews to bring a box filled with jewels to the emperor. But the Jews were stolen and replaced with, uh, but the jewels were stolen and replaced with earth. When the box was opened in the emperor's presence and it was discovered that the Jews' gift was what the Jews' gift was, the emperor was furious. He had Nahum thrown into jail. As usual, Nahum was confident that this too was for the best. Suddenly, the prophet Eliyahu appeared in the guise of a minister and suggested, O mighty emperor, know that the Jews' forefather Abraham had special earth when he fought the four kings. It turned into weapons and destroyed his enemies. And as it says in Yeshayahu 41.2, As much dust as Abraham used turned into swords and as much straw into bows. Let us try this earth against our enemy, for it might work for us too. The emperor agreed. And Hashem performed a miracle for the Sadakin Nahum. And just as Abraham's time, the earth did indeed cause enemies to fall dead. What? Like just the dirt in the box just killed everybody. Yes. And so this is how the Midrash interprets uh, the words uh, essentially to mean that the Avraham's dust turned into swords and his straw into bows. And so this is from the Hathor 41.2. So for Nakum Ishgamzu, the dirt did the same thing? It did the same thing. So Eliyahu appeared and in the guise of minister and he suggested to the emperor that this was uh, Avraham's special earth. And so he used against weapons to defeat the four kings. And so, you know, this is what ended up saving Nahum. All because of the merit of him saying, Gamzutava, this too is for the best. Most people would have freaked out. Oh, the jewels are gone. All I got is dirt. What can I do? So I guess another one bites the dust. Oh. <laughs> 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 Gamzutava. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. And, you know, it's interesting, we read a lot about Akiva, and, um, you know, Nahum Ish Gamzu was actually one of the rabbis who Akiva studied under. Mm. And wow. so, just a little bit of, of insight in there to kind of get to know these these, these sages of old, our Talmud, and so, you can kind of see how Akiva became such a, such a great Sadikim, such a great Sadik, I should say. Wow. Because he's stunned here on the guy who is known for saying this too is for the best. That's legit. Man. All right. Um, so we go into 41.4. It says, Who performed and did all this? It is I, Hashem, who appoints a generation in advance. I, Hashem, was with the other generations, and I am with the last generations that are in exile. I help them too, though in a concealed manner. And it goes into talk about, so on the day Hashem created Adam, he handed him a scroll on which he inscribed the destinies of all generations until the time when the dead will arise. And it also contained a list of all future leaders. And it talks about this scroll being named the, the advanced designation of future generations. Wow. It essentially showed that Hashem planned out the world's history in advance and everything that occurs as, has an important reason behind it. And it goes into saying, it gives it gives a list of a few of these leaders. It says, Adam, the first man, Cain, the first murderer, Hevel, the first murdered victim, Noach, the first survivor of a major, major catastrophe, Avraham, the first Jew, Aaron, the first Kohen Gadol, Shaul, the first 
Jewish king, Nebuchadnezzar, the first destroyer of the Jewish kingdom. And so it's interesting, and it actually cites this idea why Adam was chosen to be the first man. And it says, because Hashem knew he had a special power to do teshuva. Oh. After his sin, it says, once Adam had used this power, it became a potential for all future generations. Similarly, other leaders gave their individual characteristics to their descendants. So what does that say about Mashiach Yeshua? Do tell. Greater things than these you'll do. Yes. You have to have someone who, who sets that. You have to have someone who sets that emotion, though. Man. Well, all right, then. All right. So we get into... Uh, let's go... Are are you are you going to another verse? Yes. Can I just something? Yeah, go for it. All right. So here, here, uh, I would just like to submit uh, Romans chapter eight that if we're looking at Hashem already showing things that has already been predestined, if you look in Romans eight, I mean, this is where Shaul tags in. He basically says in verse twenty eight. First of all, here's a Gamzule Tova drop. And we know that all things work together for the good to them that love Hashem, to them who are called according to his purpose. So then right out of that, he goes into, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestine to be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Here's the same thing that Hashem is showing Abraham about his future descendants is what's shown about being descendants or offspring of Mashiach Yeshua, who is literally an offspring or descendant of Abraham. So then you got uh, that it says after that, it says those who he predestined, he also called those who he called. He also justified, and those who he justified, he also glorified. So, yeah, Romans 8, 28 through 30 uh, definitely speaks on that commentary that you just elucidated from the Haftarah Insights. Awesome, man. That's a that's a good connection. Rukashen. Sure. Toda Rabah. I love, I love when we pull everything together and show how it's all, it's all one book. Yes, that is true statement. There's no, there's no division. Right. And so we, we go on and we go to verse 5 in the next verse. It says, See, island dwellers, what a miracle I perform for Abraham and be afraid. Even those who dwell at the ends of the earth should tremble upon hearing about Abraham's miraculous victory of the four kings. Afterwards, the king of Sodom approached and came to beg favors of Abraham, requesting, Give me back the prisoners and take all the spoils from the war. <laughs> the Navi calls upon nations, even from distant island dwellers, to abandon their idols. For Abraham's story proves that Hashem gives success to those who serve him. And so it, it compares this whole idea when it mentions islands. At first, it's it's talking to the nations. Mm-hmm. The, 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 these ideas that the nations represent these, these islands. Mm-hmm. However, there's also the Midrash, which explains the islands mentioned in the, and the above verse refer to Abraham. Yes. So it talks about the the, the nations re- represented by these islands, and then also then it goes and talking about Abraham representing these islands. And so it says it says right here, and this is 
this kind of gets into a, a funny story, so this will be a short story time. All right. <laughs> it says, there were two great men in Avraham's generation, Avraham and Shem, son of Noach, also known as Melchizedek. Oh, man. The two are likened to islands, for just as islands stand out clearly in the ocean, so do these two firm, righteous believers in Hashem stand out in their generation's sea of idol worship and lawlessness. And just as the weary ocean traveler can find shelter and food on an island, so were Abraham and Shem a source of comfort and nourishment for anyone who sought to find Shem. Wow. And goes and talks about Abraham was superior because he went out of his way to publicize his belief in Shem, whereas Shem did not. This, this is a kind of interesting point because we just mentioned how Abraham battled these four kings. And it says, this is the story time part. Right. After the battle against the four kings, both islands... Avraham and Shem were afraid of each other. Avraham thought, I killed many of Shem's descendants and more. Perhaps he's angry at me. And Shem thought, Avraham must hate me for being the forefather of all these wicked people that fought against him. So after the war, these two great people hesitantly approached each other. <laughs> so it's kind of it's kind of interesting. They they have these two sides of coins, even the uh, two sides of the coin. You know, these the story. Right. You know, they're both these righteous people. Uh, who does so much good in the world, and yet they're just like afraid. Oh man, this he must hate me because this and this and this. He must hate me because this and this and this. You know, in reality, they're all they're actually part of the same team. And it says they they end up they never felt resentment towards each other. They were Sadakim, never felt resentment towards each other. It says after the battle, each helped his neighbor. Oh. Shem gave Abraham a blessing that we see in the in the Torah portion. And Avraham helped Shem with gifts. He gave him, like, the tenth, right, the tithe. And he, right. he showed that he supported Shem, who served to Shem. Mm. Put his money where his mouth is. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. And then what's even more interesting is is verse 7. This is probably one of the most interesting things that I've, I've read in, in this Midrash study of the Half Torah. And verse 7 goes like this. says, The carpenter who carves out the wooden idols encourages the smith who lays them with gold or silver to work faster. And the worker who smooths the image with hammer encourages the one who strikes with the anvil to beat the idol in shape. When he bonds the metal to the wooden image with glue, the worker says about the bonding, it is a good job. He reinforced it with nails so that it should not become loose. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so uh, just like the, the, the straight read of this, it's Yeshayahu mocking these idol worshippers. But the Mirashic level goes to a different, the Mirashic interpretation said goes to a different level completely. <laughs> so does Lapid. <laughs> yes. <laughs> says, the above Pasuk, uh, 41.7, calls Shem a carpenter. Since he built the ark together with his father, Noach. I, I can't help but think, you know, I wrote a little note. It says, isn't this the carpenter's son? Oh, my goodness. No, you didn't. <laughs> it says, then Abraham is a smith, for he purified his fellow man and brought him, them under the weeds of the Shekinah. <laughs> and it goes and says that Abraham is also called a hammer because he debated the truth with his fellow man, hammering away at them until they were the straight path. And so it's kind of interesting because in the, the, the base level, it talks about this is the idol worshippers, this is the sinner. But in the Midrash, it goes in and talking about how this is Avraham and Shem who are purifying the people. Mm-mm. And so there's this beautiful precedent that's set forth um, for Yeshua to take on 
and become the sin. Yep. He who knew not sin became sin. Right? And you see that with the, the Midrash level, it talks about Avraham being this carpenter, right? And the carpenter on the, the Bashat level, the basic level, is like the one who's building this idol. And Shem, or sorry, Shem being the carpenter and Avraham being the smith. And both these people on the Bashat level are making idols. They're these sinners. But on the Midrash level, it's these, these great men who are purifying the people. That so, which is wounding is used as a healing agent. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And so there's this, this this beautiful picture that's brought forth in the comparison of these verses. Wow. So that gives a whole new spin to Mashiach being one who knew no sin becoming sin. Yes. Because in him doing that, he used the very thing that caused our separation and our death and our ultimate wounding. He used that very element to bring the ultimate healing, the ultimate uh, reconnection. I agree. And uh, this next point is like, it's instances of the the carpenter and the smith met met after battle against the four kings. They encouraged each other. Abraham strengthened Shem with his nails, and he strengthened Shem in mitzvah and good deeds. And so it's kind of interesting. It says the smith becomes the, the carpenter. So they sort of switch roles. Because at first, Shem was the Shem was the carpenter, and Avraham was the smith. And then it goes in talking about how Avraham strengthened him with nails. He was the carpenter. And then Shem being the, the uh, likened to the, sorry, the... Wow. And so we, we have that exchange of the, the blessing and the kingship within the, the Torah portion that's given. And so that's, it's a similar within the half Torah as well. Okay, I, I know I don't want to I don't want to interrupt, but I just please do whenever you have a moment. Okay, so coming up in next week's Torah portion is the account of the Akedah Parshavayera in the Kehot Humash, which is the Kehot Humash. Uh, it goes into this very Kabbalistic teaching about Abraham and Yitzhak switching places. The father taking the place of the son and the son taking the place of the father at the binding of the Akedah. And uh, Abraham represents the Sephirah of Chesed. Yitzhak represents the Sephirah of Gevorah. So you have loving kindness and then strict judgment. And those two uh, Sephirot actually switch places at the binding of the Akedah so that where there is strict judgment actually there becomes loving kindness. And so, again, we're talking about when Mashiach Yeshua is taking on sin and still being without sin, there's that switch element there. Also, um, looking at Abraham and Shem as prototypes and pictures of the two Mashiachs. You know, you have the Mashiach being Yosef and Shem, and then you have the Mashiach being David and Abraham, well, which really both, because they are both kings and priests and uh, prophets. And so we know that Mashiach ben David is the, the king, the righteous king. And then that would be like Shem, but that's also Abraham. Then you have the Mashiach ben Yosef, the one who suffers. Well, I'm pretty sure Shem suffered seeing his descendants uh, depart from the ways of righteousness and um, all the all that ensued with that. And then uh, Abraham, obviously, with his many sufferings through his trials. And so you see how the two Mashiachs, even though they're two 
they're really one and they're actually connected and their roles can switch simultaneously uh and it just i mean there is no not really like a set thing so this is the beauty of how seeing in mashiach yeshua he embodies ben david and ben yosef suffering and righteous the aspect of loving kindness and that uh, that mitigation of the strict judgment that is against us or that was against us, you know, prior to his, his sacrifice, but we know he was sacrificed before time. So then that's a whole nother thing. But needless to say, I just wanted to, uh, tag on to the, um, elucidation of the switching of the roles and how that's going about. So that's all I got. No, I, I, I love this, this idea you brought forth about the, the like chesed and gavur switching and this this idea you know when you said this this whole idea about shim suffering because he witnessed all his descendants going off the path yeah, it made me think of that that one descendant who you know did Ooh. stay on the path and came, or rather came back to the path you know it can't can't but help but think of this idea that you know, love covers a multitude of sins. We, where do we see that? One of the first places we, we see that besides, you know, Hashem giving garments to Adam and Hava is Shem walking backwards to covering his father. And it was through that that his descendants merit, merited the, the bless, blessing of the mitzvah of Zitzit. But then we see Avraham, was it not Avraham who... Uh, because of his exchange with with the kings, right. that he merited the tekelit and the zitzit. That's right. And so it's it's almost like you have this. Yes, you have this idea of all Shem's descendants, you know, falling away from the path, and then here comes this this one man to to bring them back on the path. He elevates the mitzvah, kind of mm. like the the blue strand, the the the, the I should say, strand within mm. the zitzit mm. elevates the mitzvah. Is a reminder of the throne of Hashem. Yes. Hmm. And so you could say that he took all these who were fallen away from from Hashem, those who were far off, and he brought them near to the throne. Where have we heard that before? <laughs> and, uh, Mashiach, Mashiach, Mashiach. <laughs> and also the same Aliyah, that's the fifth Aliyah of Parashat Lech Lecha, that same spirit. A spot there that talks about the merit of the techelet that Abraham uh, brought for us. Also, in that same verse, in that same commentary, this is all Sota 17a. Definitely get you some. It'll blow your mind. But he also merited the tefillin. So if you think about the zitzit with the techelet and the tefillin, that's literally a cord of three strands, not easily broken. So, Amen. just saying, that all came, if you're doing the progression from Shem to Abraham there. That's incredible. So, he came and he tied them all together. And then you had the three avot, three patriarchs who come and yes. and and bind us permanently as, an, as a nation. Amen. And so, all this, you know, even, even the, the Midrash comments of what, what we were talking about and talking about, what was the result of all Abraham's activities? It says the nations of the world said it's better for us to attach ourselves to Abraham's God than to Nimrod's idols. Oh, Hashem! Hashem. We cover cover three three more points. I mean, two more points. 
And going into verse 41, 14 says, Do not fear you warm of Yaakov, you men of Israel. I have helped you in the past as a shim, and your Redeemer in the future will be the Holy One of Israel. And so I asked this question, you know, and it's, it's kind of unsettling, you know, it's like, why are you comparing us to a worm? That's, that's kind of insulting. <laughs> but the Midrash and, and Chazal and the rabbis, they have a completely different perspective on this. Open up and they actually ask the question. Yes, I'm going to open up the can of worms here. <laughs> and rather they did, because pretty much every question that, that we have has already been answered by Chazal. So, Baruch Hashem, for their studies. Baruch Hashem, Why are the Jewish people called the worm? Why? It says, in exile, they are despised and treated like a worm by the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. At the same time, the term is complementary. It says, one of the qualities for which Hashem treasures B'nai Israel is that they are not conceited. They consider themselves lowly like a worm. But the worm has power, a great amount of power within its mouth. And it can gnaw down entire cedar trees. And so it compares this with the blessing of Yaakov that Yitzhak, Yitzhak gave Yaakov as he blessed him with a voice. Mm-mm. And so it, it, it has this idea that, you know, the, the, the mouth of the worm is related to our, our one weapon. The weapon of prayer, the weapon of Torah. And so when we use this, the blessing of Yaakov, then the blessing of Esau, which is the blessing of the sword, is powerless against us. Wow. So the nation's swords will not stand. Mm-mm. And the other the other interpretation of this is about Yosef's death. Stop it. It says Yosef's early death. It says, Why did he pass away before all his brothers? It goes into saying he sinned in ordering that his father's body be embalmed. His shim rebuked Yosef. Did you think I could not have preserved your father's body? I have already told him, do not fear the worms, Yaakov. They will not touch your body. Yosef should have discerned that since understood that his father was so holy, his body went decay because he failed to realize this as Shem shortened his life. Yosef was punished measure for measure, Mida, Kanegan Mida, for not having properly honored his father, a mitzvah that is rewarded with long life. Wow. And so it's. You know, just kind of bring bring it back here. It says in the future, like so. Right now, you know, where this this whole, this lowly, humble, not not conceited worm, this lowly creature, but in the future, this worm will become powerful and significant, like the Shamir worm that can split rocks. What? Yes. Because <laughs> you know, Shamir is the root Shomer. Oh, to God. <laughs> That's right. So observance. When we're Jews who are observant, get you some of that. <laughs> so on, you just see this this beautiful parallel within within all of scripture. You know, it starts out lowly, humble, unassuming, and then there's this rise to power. <laughs> you see that with David, the shepherd, the one who says you know, like pure yet ruddy, like he looked like Esau, but his eyes were the eyes of Rachel. Right, right. And so it's just this idea, like even though it, it seemed so unfitting at the first, you know, he ended up rising to power. Even Yosef, Yosef was the youngest of all the brethren. You know, he was rejected, he was thought to be dead, and then he rose to great power. And so you see this with us, it's, it's the same pattern. The lowly, the lowly worm right now, and then in the future we'll be exalted. And so, the same pattern would obviously be the same for Mashiach. 
Right. And so for those who are claiming this whole idea of, oh, we can't be this yet because it didn't fulfill all these great prophecies and rise to power. Well, you know, the redemption is a process, as we, we've mentioned before. It comes in stages. And so right now, before he came as like this lowly, lowly humble, uh, like the worm. And then he's going to rise to power like the Shamir worm. Amen. And cut us out a new temple. Get you some, because that's what <laughs> built the first temple. Oh my exactly. <laughs> and so, uh, and it, and it, needs to get some help. I'm getting it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Man. So, well, um, this will be the last last closing point with this story time. You know, I just want to mention that it it, it says. Behold, I'll make you into a new keen threshing tool with many teeth. You will thresh mountains and then thin them down and make hills like chaff. Mm. And so it says you will, and then verse 16, you will throw them up in the air like chaff. A wind will carry them away and a storm will scatter them all over. But you will rejoice with Hashem's, Hashem's salvation. You will congratulate yourself for having put your trust in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Holy One of Israel. Amen. And so, you know, Yeshua says... You know about like we will move mountains, having have the the tiny the having just the tiny bit of faith, faith the size of mustard seed. We can move we can move mountains, and so it's kind of interesting that it has it talks about this threshing tool with many teeth, and we just got done talking about the worm whose power is in its mouth, right. even though it's just a small object that's moving mountains. No, mine. I'm gonna read this this midrash about these verses. Ourselves a little the final story time. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, we are approaching the final story time. <laughs> All right, I, I, I'm going to give this story time a title, and the title is a spoiler. Oh. It says, Wheat Wins at the End. Spoiler alert, Wheat Wins at the End. <laughs> All right. If the title doesn't make sense, it will shortly. We'll wait on it. I mean, we'll, we'll wait on it. So we don't have to stubble in the darkness. Oh, stubble in... Oh, my goodness. Or, or create a straw man argument. Oh, my word. Read your story. <laughs> I, I'm, I am. You know, these are words in the story. Oh, they so, are. Okay, we are. Okay. The stubble, the straw, and the chaff of the wheat were of the wheat, of the wheat, that's important, were once arguing. Each one claimed, for my sake, the field was sown. Along came the wheat and interrupted them. Just wait until we reach the barn. Then you will know for whose sake the farmer really sowed the fields. The farmer winnowed the wheat and the chaff was scattered by the wind. Next, he threw the straw on the floor and burned the stubble. Finally, he bundled the wheat and carefully stored it away in his granary. Everyone was pleased to see the precious harvest of wheat. Similarly, each nation claimed, for my sake the world was created. Just wait, B'nai Israel answered. There will come a day when it was obvious. It will be obvious for whom sake the entire universe was created. Yeshua says to the Jewish nation in forty-one sixteen, "You will throw the nations up in the air, just as a farmer throws the wheat kernels up for the wind to separate the chaff from the grain. The wind will carry them away, and the storm will scatter them." However, about Kol Israel, it says, "But you will rejoice in Hashem, and you will praise yourself with the Holy One of Israel." And so it goes in talking about how the um, the Midrash divides the nation into these the three categories. The straw; these are the righteous uh, Gentiles 
who have like a positive function, um, just as straw can be a useful item. Mm-hmm. Then the stubble, the stubble are the Gentiles who keep the, these laws of civilization, so the ethical, but they don't do them because Hashem said them. They do them because they're logical. And then you have the chaff, which these are these are the the Gentiles, the nations um, who live without any moral code whatsoever, and they're like the chaff because we have no need for chaff. And of course, uh, all of Israel is the purpose of creation. It's grain. This is the wheat. So um, all the other parts of plant, the chaff and the stubble, consider themselves superior to the kernel because they develop earlier. You know, we, we see a lot of, of all, all the, the wicked people, or maybe not wicked people, but people who just aren't doing all these, all the mitzvahs, they're not serving Hashem how they should. And why do they get all this stuff now? Why do they get this now? The chaff and the stubble, they consider themselves superior because they develop earlier than the kernel. Wow. But it's after a long process of threshing and winnowing that the grain can actually be enjoyed. And thus, too, this prophet Yeshayahu, he comforts Israel by saying, We must patiently wait and not lose our trust in Hashem until we emerge purified, clean of the chaff and the straw. And so, at the appointed time, you know, the Jewish nation, we will emerge as the world's most elevated nation. It will then become clear that the universe was created for our sakes. Wow. But in the meantime, we must endure and be thanking Hashem for His, his detailed in creation and His plan of, of this process of winnowing and threshing so that we may be brought into the barn and, and to, to go with the analogy and enjoy His presence. Wow. Well, Rugashem, I mean, that definitely speaks to why Mashiach <laughs> says, don't pull up the wheat and the tares right now. Like, let them grow. Mm-hmm. the appointed time. Let them develop. That's Matthew 13, 30. Man. Okay, Rukashem. So, Chasis Baz Rabah for elucidating not only Parsha Haftarah Lech Lecha, but covering over Noach and uh, Bereshit as well. So, Rukashem. Mark Shah, it's been, a, been an honor. Um, a pleasure. Always a pleasure and honor to talk about Torah. Believe it. Um, so now, if we could just uh, hit one practical takeaway um, before we index our time. All right. Would you care to do the practical takeaway? Okay, but you're gonna have to say something. Oh, okay. All right. Well. All right. Um, <laughs> go for it. Go for it. I'll I'll mention a little something and then I guess. All right, Brooke Shim. So uh, the, just the practical takeaway. Overall, if you really zoom out on what we've talked about, it's so trivial, but trust in Hashem. And even when we can't see activity, even when it seems like I can't seem to trust in Hashem right now, I want to, but I don't. Oh my goodness, I'm getting convicted. Okay. Uh, Why did I have to go first? (laughs) But, I mean, man. Okay, so... I can do this. Okay. I can do all things through Mashiach who strengthens me. Okay. <laughs> so it, we, we trust in Hashem because not only do we know he's creating at the moment, but he's already shown himself to be trustworthy in past occasions. And Hashem is consistent. He's the master of the universe. Is he not? We say it with every bracha that we recite. We always start with Baruch Atah Adonai. Eloheinu Melech Haolam. Like, if we don't trust in Hashem, then we can't be saying that bracha. 
gosh. And furthermore, to kind of spin that as an encouragement is that we need to say that Braca, even if we don't feel like we trust in him, because what we're going to do is ultimately reinforce that we do trust him. And if we understand Hashem as Melech HaOlam, then there would be no need for us to really ever doubt that this time that we're going through this challenges and all the darkness and all the chaos and the corruption in the world and even within ourselves that we're battling against, like to know and believe and trust and to understand that we're going for wheat here. We're not just going to be a carnal. We're not just going to be some chaff. We're not going to be some stubble. Like we need what's going to be thoroughly enjoyed. And we, we can only get that through going through these challenges because it is written. If we don't suffer with him, then we cannot expect to reign with him in glory. Mashiach already led out with the suffering. So now it's our turn. I love that. And I think that's, that's the whole, the whole concept. And one of the main concepts here, just like trusting in Shem. And persevering and you know since like you really you really touched on that part really talk about how how to how to trust what's going to strengthen your trust in this exile and which was really brought about by the half tour because it talks about this whole thing and you know hashem's divine plan and how he plans out everything we don't understand the purpose we just say gam to and persevere but then it goes on to this response to the nations and it reminds them of the deeds of Abraham. And so I think the whole whole idea of how do we establish this faith to carry on this exile, to trust him, even though things get crazy and hectic, is really a part where it talks about Mihair, talking about he lit up, he lit up, talking about the rising son of Abraham into the perfected son, the full light called the son of Yaakov. And so by looking at the patriarchs, like looking at Abraham, looking at Yaakov, how they live their life, um, encouraging people to do mitzvot, encouraging, decouraging them to go um, from idolatry and all these paths that would separate them from Hashem, and just really encourage them to attach themselves back to Hashem. The whole idea of encouraging people to do mitzvah, the whole root of mitzvah is attachment. It's this bonding. Zav. And, you know, you get to, you get to Yaakov and... It mentions the worm of Yaakov towards the end, and what's what's his power? His power is prayer. His power is uh, of speaking Torah and just proclaiming, proclaiming goodness. So, how do you sustain your trust in this 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 crazy exile? How do you understand that everything's for the, for the best by encouraging people to do mitzvahs? It's by being diligent in and your your personal prayers, you know, and and the three. The three major prayers, Shimon Ezra, you know, the Shema, and by reading Torah out loud, you know, reading Torah out loud so that you, you speak it, and then it goes back into your ears, and you have an even fuller understanding of it. And it changes your environment. Yeah, and I just think, you know, it's so, it's so perfect, because Yeshayahu, you know, he's the one who speaks about comforting, 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 right. and this is... It's it's almost a little sad because this is the last last half tour for Yeshiahu for a while. But he'll be back just like the machine. But he'll be back. He'll always <laughs> he'll always be back. No. <laughs> so, but I think it's a fitting fitting way just to just talk about how can we be comforted, how can we be sustained uh, through the exile because that's one of his main topics in the book of Yeshiahu. So. Well, that is a flare in the nighttime stormy sky. So I really appreciate you. 
literally illuminating that and lighting that up uh, because you never think about encouraging people to do mitzvot and being diligent in our own prayers being a way to persevere i mean wow so uh in the spirit of rap i would just like to say we go from a worm to a shamir may the time be brought near we will continue to persevere until mashiach is right here <laughs> awesome man love it <laughs> so, is that on the spot or is that 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 was that was on the spot i was i was thinking about right. it all right well um the time has come for us to say the closing bracha and we always 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 proceed it by saying what do we know what do we know Omer ve ose hamdaber um kayem shekal devarav emet vazedek ne eman atahu adonai elohenu ve ne emanim ve devareka ve davar echad mid vareka ocher akor lo yashuv rekam. Ki el melek neeman verakaman ata Baruch ata Adonai ha el ha neeman bekol devarav biskut Mashiach Yeshua Amen ve Amen. Amen. All right. Well, chasis lailatov and shalom bimromav to you and your household, and to all of our listeners, shalom and shavuotov. And Toda for joining us this week with the Haftarah portion. Shalom. All right, shalom.